Chapter twenty eight of Callista by John Henry Newman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A sick call. Aristo was not a fellow to have very long distresses. He never would have died of love or of envy for honor or for loss of property. But his present calamity was one of the greatest he could ever have, and weighed upon him as long as ever any one could his love for his sister was real but it would not do to look too closely into the grounds of it if we are obliged to do so we must confess to a suspicion that it lay rather in certain outward nay accidental attributes of callista than in callista herself did she lose her good looks or her amiable unresisting submission to his wishes whatever they were she would also lose her hold upon his affections this is not to make any severe charge against him considering how it is with the common run of brothers and sisters husbands and wives at the same time most people certainly are haunted by the memory of the past and love for auld lang syne and this aristo might indeed have had and perhaps had not he loved chiefly for the present and by the hour however at the present time he was in a state of acute suffering and under its paroxysm he bethought him again of cornelius's advice which he had rejected to betake himself to polemo he had a distant acquaintance with him sufficient for his purpose and he called on him at the mercury after the latter's lecture polemo was no fool though steeped in affectation and self-conceit and aristo fancied that his sister might be more moved by a philosophical compatriot than any one else polemo's astonishment however when the matter was proposed to him surpassed words and it showed how utterly aristo was absorbed in his own misery that the possibility of such a reception should not have occurred to him what he the friend of plotinus of rogatian and the other noble men and women who were his fellow-disciples at rome he a member of the intellectual aristocracy of the metropolis of the world what he to visit a felon in prison and when he found the felon was a christian he fully thought that aristo had come to insult him and was on the point of bidding him leave him to himself aristo however persisted and his evident anguish and some particulars which came out softened him callista was a greek literate or blue-stocking she had never indeed worn the philosophic pallium as some christian martyrs afterwards if not before have done saint catherine and saint euphemia but there was no reason why she should not do so polemo recollected having heard of her at the capital and in the triclinium of one of the decurions as a lady of singular genius and attainments and he lately had made an attempt to form a female class of hearers and it would be a feather in his cap to make a convert of her so not many days after one evening accompanied by aristo he set out in his litter to the lodging where she was in custody not however without much misgiving when it came to the point some shame and a consequent visible awkwardness and stiffness in his manner all the perfumes he had about him could not hinder the disgust of such a visit rising up into his nostrils callista's room was very well for a prison it was on the ground floor of a house of many stories 
close to the officium of the triumvirate though not any longer under their strict jurisdiction she was allowed to remain where she had first been lodged she was in one of the rooms belonging to an apparitor of that officium and as he had a wife or at least a partner to take care of her she might consider herself very well off however the reader must recollect that we are in africa and in the month of july and our young greek was little used to heats which made the whole city nothing less than one vast oven through the greater part of the twenty-four hours in lofty spacious apartments the resource adopted is to exclude the external air and to live as greenlanders with closed windows and doors this was both impossible and would have been unsuccessful if attempted in the small apartment of callista but fever of mind is even worse than the heat of the sky and it is undeniable that her health and her strength and her appearance are affected by both the physical and the moral enemy the beauty which was her brother's delight is waning away and the shadows if not the rudiments of a diviner loveliness which is of expression not of feature which inspires not human passion but diffuses chaste thoughts and aspirations are taking its place aristo sees the change with no kind of satisfaction the room has a bench two or three stools and a bed of rushes in one corner a staple is firmly fixed in the wall and an iron chain light however and long if the two ideas can be reconciled reaches to her slender arm and is joined to it by an iron ring on polemo's entering the room his first exclamation was to complain of its closeness but he had to do a work so he began it without delay callista on her part started she had no wish for his presence she was reclining on her couch and she sat up she was not equal to a controversy nor did she mean to have one whatever might be the case with him callista my life and joy dear callista said her brother i have brought the greatest man in sicca to see you callista cast upon him an earnest look which soon subsided into indifference he had a rose of cyrene in his hand whose perfume he diffused about the small room it is polemo continued aristo the friend of the great plotinus who knows all philosophies and all philosophers he has come out of kindness to you callista acknowledged his presence it was certainly she said a great kindness for any one to visit her and there polemo replied by a compliment he said it was socrates visiting aspasia there had always been women above the standard of their sex and they had ever held an intellectual converse with men of the mind he saw one such before him callista felt it would be plunging her soul still deeper into shadows when she sought realities if she must take part in such an argument she remained silent uh, your sister has not the fit upon her asked polemo of aristo aside neither liking her reception of him nor knowing what to say not at all dear thing answered aristo she is all attention for you to begin natives of greece at length said he natives of greece should know each other 
they deserve to know each other there is a secret sympathy between them like that mysterious influence which unites magnet to magnet or like the echo which is a repercussion of the original voice so in like manner greeks are what none but they can be and he smelt at his rose and bowed she smiled faintly when he mentioned greece yes she said i am fonder of greece than of africa each has its advantages said polemo there is a pleasure in imparting knowledge in lighting flame from flame it would be selfish did we not leave greece to communicate what they have not here but you he added lady neither can learn in greece nor teach in africa while you are in this vestibule of orcus i understand however it is your own choice can that be possible well i wish to get out if i could most learned polemo said callista sadly may polemo of rhodes speak frankly to callista of proconesis asked polemo i would not speak to every one if so let me ask what keeps you here the magistrates of sicca and this iron chain answered callista i would i could be elsewhere i would i were not what i am what could you wish to be more than you are answered polemo more gifted accomplished beautiful than any daughter of africa uh, go to the point polemo said aristo nervously though respectfully she wants home thrusts i see my brother wants you to ask how far it depends on me that i am here said callista wishing to hasten his movements it is because i will not burn incense upon the altar of jupiter a most insufficient reason lady said polemo callista was silent what does that action mean said polemo it proposes to mean nothing else than that you are loyal to the roman power you are not of those greeks i presume who dream of a national insurrection at this time then you are loyal to rome did i believe a leonidas could now arise an harmodius a miltiades a themistocles a pericles an epimonidas i should be as ready to take the sword as another but it is hopeless greece then makes no claim on you just now nor will i believe though you were to tell me so yourself that you are leagued with any obscure fanatic sect who desire rome's downfall consider what rome is and now he had got into the magnificent commonplace out of his last panegyrical oration with which he had primed himself before he set out i am a greek he said i love greece but i love truth better and i look at facts i grasp them and i confess to them the wide earth through untold centuries has at length grown into the imperial dominion of one it has converged and coalesced in all its various parts into one rome this which we see is the last the perfect state of human society the course of things the force of natural powers as is well understood by all great lawyers and philosophers 
cannot go further unity has come at length and unity is eternity it will be for ever because it is a whole the principle of dissolution is eliminated we have reached the apotelesma of the world greece egypt assyria libya etruria lydia have all had their share in the result each of them in its own day has striven in vain to stop the course of fate and has been hurried onward at its wheel as its victim or its instrument and shall judea do what profound egypt and subtle greece have tried in vain if even the freedom of thought the liberal scepticism nay the revolutionary theories of hellas have proved unequal to the task of splitting up the roman power if the pomp and luxury of the east have failed shall the mysticism of syria succeed well dear callista are you listening cried aristo not overconfident of the fact though polemo looked round at him with astonishment ten centuries he continued ten centuries have just been completed since rome began her victorious career for ten centuries she has been fulfilling her high mission in the dispositions of destiny and perfecting her maxims of policy and rules of government for ten centuries she has pursued one track with an ever-growing intensity of zeal and an ever-widening extent of territory what can she not do just one thing and that one thing which she has not presumed to do you are attempting she has maintained her own religion as was fitting but she has never thrown contempt on the religion of others this you are doing observe callista rome herself in spite of her great power has yielded to that necessity which is greater she does not meddle with the religions of the peoples she has opened no war against their diversities of right the conquering power found especially in the east innumerable traditions customs prejudices principles superstitions matted together in one hopeless mass she left them as they were she recognized them it would have been the worse for her if she had done otherwise all she said to the peoples all she dared say to them was you bear with me and i will bear with you yet this you will not do you christians who have no pretence to any territory who are not even the smallest of the peoples who are not even a people at all you have the fanaticism to denounce all other rites but your own nay the religion of great rome who are you upstarts and vagabonds of yesterday older religions than yours more intellectual more beautiful religions which have had a position and a history and a political influence have come to naught and shall you prevail you a congeries a hotchpotch of the leavings and scraps and broken meat of the great peoples of the east and west blush blush grecian callista you with a glorious nationality of your own to go shares with some hundred peasants slaves 
thieves beggars hucksters tinkers cobblers and fishermen a lady of high character of brilliant accomplishments to be the associate of the outcasts of society polemo's speech though cumbrous did execution at least the termination of it upon minds constituted like the grecian aristo jumped up swore an oath and looked round triumphantly at callista who felt its force also after all what did she know of christians at best she was leaving the known for the unknown she was sure to be embracing certain evil for contingent good she said to herself no i never can be a christian then she said aloud my lord polemo i am not a christian i never said i was that is her absurdity cried aristo she is neither one thing nor the other she won't say she's a christian and she won't sacrifice it is my misfortune she said i know i am losing both what i see and what i don't see it is most inconsistent yet what can i do polemo had said what he considered enough he was one of those who sold his words he had already been over generous and was disposed to give away no more after a time callisto said polemo do you believe in one god certainly he answered i believe in one eternal self-existing something well she said i feel that god within my heart i feel myself in his presence he says to me do this don't do that you may tell me that this dictate is a mere law of my nature as is to joy or to grieve i cannot understand this no it is the echo of a person speaking to me nothing shall persuade me that it does not ultimately proceed from a person external to me it carries with it its proof of its divine origin my nature feels towards it as towards a person when i obey it i feel a satisfaction when i disobey a soreness just like that which i feel in pleasing or offending some revered friend so you see polemo i believe in what is more than a mere something i believe in what is more real to me than sun moon stars and the fair earth and the voice of friends you will say who is he has he ever told you anything about himself alas no the more's the pity but i will not give up what i have because i have not more an echo implies a voice a voice a speaker that speaker i love and i fear here she was exhausted and overcome to poor callista with her own emotions oh that i could find him she exclaimed passionately on the right hand and on the left i grope but touch him not 
why dost thou fight against me why dost thou scare and perplex me o first and only fair i have thee not and i need thee she added i am no christian you see or i should have found him or at least i should say i had found him it is hopeless said polemo to aristo in much disgust and with some hauteur of manner she is too far gone you should not have brought me to this place aristo groaned oh. shall i she continued worship any but him shall i say that he whom i see not whom i seek is our jupiter or caesar or the goddess of rome they are none of them images of this inward guide of mine i sacrifice to him alone the two men looked at each other in amazement one of them in anger it's like the demon of socrates said aristo timidly i will acknowledge caesar in every fitting way she repeated but i will not make him my god presently she added polemo will not that invisible monitor have something to say to all of us to you at some future day spare me spare me callista cried polemo starting up with a violence unsuited to his station and profession spare my ears unhappy woman such words have never hitherto entered them i did not come to be insulted poor blind hapless perverse spirit i separate myself from you for ever desert if you will the majestic bright beneficent traditions of your forefathers and live in this frightful superstition farewell he did not seem better pleased with aristo than with callista though aristo helped him into his litter walked by his side and did what he could to propitiate him End of chapter twenty eight